This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. Every day we're bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance, plus technology, politics, so much going on in the world of politics, economics, and it's all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. And be sure to watch us, too, on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. Let's, though, get a little bit more on the virus and vaccine, because we have a really great guest with us. Uh, It is Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice. She's president and dean of the Morehouse School of Medicine. She's the first woman to lead the medical institution, and she joins us on the phone in Atlanta. She is also got, uh, the whole school does a new multi-million dollar initiative to increase the number of black physicians nationwide, which I think is a really, really important program. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Dr. Montgomery Rice, so nice to have you here with Tim and myself on Bloomberg. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Carol. I appreciate it. I do want to, we're going to get into that program because I think it's really important going forward, especially um, with everything that's been going on this year. And we're seeing a lot of the black population concerned about maybe taking the, the vaccine. But when you look at the virus and vaccine overall right now, um, tell me some of the main points that stick out with you. Is it the mutation? Is it the rise in cases, the wave again? What is it that really kind of you think our listeners need to pay attention to? Well, first of all, I want to say I'm glad you're having this conversation, is that, first of all, the vaccine is not going to take care of everything for us, that we still have to continue these public health initiatives of washing our hands, wearing our masks, and watching our distance. With that being said, I am trying to move the conversation from one of vaccine hesitancy of vaccine acceptance. What we've seen is um, science at great work here. We know that we now have something that has been shown to be 94 to 95% effective in preventing the disease. That doesn't mean you don't get infected. What it means is that when you have the vaccine in place, it is going to come, it's going to produce antibodies that are going to gobble up that virus so that you will not get ill. And so we still have more to know, but what we really do know is that it's safe and it's been shown to be very effective at that. So when your turn comes up, we want people to actually be ready to accept the vaccine uh, because that is one of the ways that we can mitigate the ravishes of this uh, disease, of this uh, illness, of this sickness that is really taking over our, our country right now. Well, Dr. Rice, you are one of the very few people who actually has been able to get the first dose of this vaccine. You got it last week on CNN with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Um, I imagine you took the Pfizer-BioNTech one? Yes, I got the Pfizer one, and I'm a person who, even though I'm a surgeon, I don't like needles. Uh, it was, Join the club. <laughs> I'm not a surgeon, but I don't like needles. I still win. <laughs> it wasn't painful at all. It, 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 you all, it was less painful than the flu vaccine. Okay. What about, how did it feel afterward? Totally fine. And so, you know, you go on to, uh, you sign up for this app and call VTAC, uh, Be Safe, Be Safe, that's what it is. And every day I've been answering questions. I had a little bit of arm soreness. I haven't had any headaches, any nausea, any fatigue or anything. And so I felt really good. That's good to hear because even after the flu shot, I get a sore arm. You do get a Yeah. Was it cold going in? A bit of a sore arm, but it wasn't. It's not as sore to me as as it is when I have the flu vaccine. I get the flu vaccine every year, of course. Was it cold going in? Not at all. Okay. Huh. I, I I felt nothing. I, I mean, I was like, when well, you saw it on air, I was like, okay, that's it. 
I was expecting a lot more. I think the needle is bigger than the solution. Yeah, the needle looks kind of big. I'm going to look away. I'm going to look away, like, to be quite don't, honest. No, don't look, okay? And, and it's over. Doctor's I mean, orders, okay, yeah. Carol? I mean, you know, go with someone who knows how to give a shot, right? So Ex- you know, people are like, okay, have you given a shot before? You know, we wanted to make sure of that. Well, but no, serious, in all seriousness, here is an opportunity, you all. And I know people get concerned about warp speed. Yeah. You know, warp speed does not mean that there were any steps skipped. And I've had the privilege, you all, of looking at the data, phase zero, phase one, phase two, phase three data, because I was on one of the, I'm on one of the NIH panels, mm-hmm. and we've seen that data. And now that Moderna and Pfizer have both released their phase three data, I've looked very intentionally at that. And so I can tell you the safety profile, it really did show that it was equally effective regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of your age, and regardless of whether or not you were obese. And that made a big difference to me to saying, okay, they really did have great enrollment of people in the diversity in these trials. Well, and just got about 40 seconds, and then we'll come back and talk some more. I am curious, what are some of the dominant conversations you're having at Morehouse, you know, about COVID-19 right now? Just quickly, and then we'll come back. Yeah, so the main dominant conversation was, you know, we did have originally 30% of our doctors, our healthcare providers, who were hesitant. That has decreased. We probably have in, uh, vaccinated over 200 people now, 200 mm-hmm. of our healthcare professionals. So that's been the biggest conversation. Okay, yes, we have the historical context of what has happened with blacks in clinical trials, et cetera, but that's not where we are now, you all. We're at a different phase in this country. Dr. Rice, you shared with us and your team shared us uh, some research and some information about how studies show that black patients have better outcomes when treated by black doctors. Um, I get that. I have a lot of women doctors because I just feel more comfortable addressing things and talking about things. So you guys at Morehouse have instituted a program to address that, and that is a multi-million dollar initiative to increase the number of black physicians nationwide. Talk to us about that program and why you're doing it, a little bit more about why you're doing that. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. So, you know, the dual pandemics of COVID-19 and racial injustice really magnified for us sort of the health disparities that were impacting the black community. And what we recognized a long time ago when we were founded, that in order to ensure that you have the highest level of compliance and cultural competence, there needs to be a shared governance between the patient and the provider, right? And so we have been working to ensure that there's representation of underrepresented minorities who care for patients from different communities. Right now, black clinicians only comprise about 5% of the physician workforce and 7% of all medical students. As we have been continuing to grow and have impact, Morehouse School of Medicine is partnering with Common Spirit. We recognize we had a shared commitment to the creation and advancement of health equity, particularly in that of underserved communities. As you may know, Common Spirit is the largest not-for-profit health system in the country. They're found in 21 states. They have over 140 hospitals. And because of this shared commitment, we have decided to partner together over the next 10 years through a $100 million initiative where we're going to address the underlying health disparities but that is going to primarily focus initially on the underrepresentation of black clinicians. So when you look five to seven years from now, you're going to see five new regional medical schools with Morehouse School of Medicine and Common Spirit name on them. 
allowing Morehouse School of Medicine to double its class size from 100 to 200. And then you're going to see 10 new residency training programs across the country. So we believe we're going to triple the number of black residents who graduate from a residency training program and go out and practice in the community. How early does this have to start in somebody's career? And the reason I ask is because when I think about my friends who are doctors, these are people who've wanted to be doctors since they were kids. Mm-hmm. So is it, the, is it with, this, with this partnership, with this initiative, how early are you working with potential students? So the other great thing that Morehouse School of Medicine has a lot of experience with is pipeline programs, right? So we adopted an elementary school here in Atlanta called Tuskegee Airmen Global Academy, a K-5. through Now, all we're trying to do there with those 600 students is engage them so they get to see us in white coats. They get to come to the school, et cetera. We're planting the seeds of what's possible. And then we get very serious with our high school and our college students where we're actually giving them research experience, hands-on experiences. We're going to duplicate several of those programs in the communities near the regions where we have uh, identified with Common Spirit because that's what we do in the state of Georgia. We have a track record in the state of Georgia, you all. We go out and we recruit from rural and underserved communities. 65% 65% of our students go back and practice in an underserved community. Mm. 65 to 70% of them either choose primary care or a critical course specialty. And we believe it's because we have these pipeline programs and we give them experiences doing medical school in those communities where they are most likely interested in practice. Well, and I think this is so important because we talk about the inequities, the gaps that are in our society, and we think about people who um, live in some of the rural areas, and it often tends to be minorities, it it tends to be black Americans, and they are underserved, certainly by the medical community. We've seen that laid bare uh, as a result of COVID-19. Dr. Rice, keep us up to date on the work that you guys are doing. Uh, We'd love to hear more as this program uh, progresses. Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice, she is president at Morehouse School of Medicine, uh, joining us on the phone from Atlanta. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser from Bloomberg Radio. So as if the rally wasn't enough, Peloton shares soaring today. Uh, and this has to do with some news and specifically a deal. Uh, the company buying the fitness equipment company, Precore. Uh, our Bloomberg Quick Take chief correspondent, Jason Kelly, got an exclusive with Peloton's president. Uh, check out a little snippet of this quest- uh, this little interview. It allows us to move even faster. Part of this is um, their R&D and fitness equipment we think is is arguably the best in the industry. They've got 100 people, Jason, focused on R&D, um, some of whom have decades of experience in building um, what we call tier one fitness equipment. And so if anything, it's going to allow us to go faster. And um, as I mentioned earlier, was was a big part. The people were overall a big part of this deal. We just, we really like the people there and think they're very talented. All right, that's Peloton President William Lynch catching up with Bloomberg Quick Take Chief Correspondent, my former uh, partner in crime, Jason Kelly. Uh, they caught up yesterday for an exclusive. So this is a big deal. Hello there. Hello there. <laughs> nice to see you. Nice to see you. So Peloton, like as if they couldn't do anything more that would juice the stock this year. How many times do we sit in the studio and talk about Peloton? Uh, a lot. A lot. A, a lot. lot. And for good reason, because the stock is up more than 450% this year. Nuts. Uh, you know, in another part of the interview, William Lynch said to me, of course, no one wishes a global pandemic on anything, but 
it has been extremely good for business. At the same time, as you know, it has really stretched their capability to get bikes and treadmills to people. So exactly. that was a big, big part of this deal. So what does this deal though do specifically for them? Well, that's exactly it. What it does is a couple things. First, it expands their horizons into the commercial business. So when we're back traveling again and hotels and college campuses and things like that, that's where you see a lot of pre-core machines. So you'll see some Peloton sort of branding get into that, although pre-core is going to keep a lot of its branding. More importantly, manufacturing. Two manufacturing facilities that right. Precor has here in the United States. So for American customers who are very eager to get those Pelotons, they're going to start making Peloton bikes and treads. How long does Precor stick around? I'm just saying Peloton is a very distinct brand. Yeah. And I just do wonder like that mixed branding is not always something that usually works long term. It's a great question. And I pushed William a little bit on that. He said, listen, they have no plans to change it out. It actually is a pretty good brand in its market. Yeah. Um, is it less expensive? What's that? Precore? Is it? Is it a less expensive? It's brand? a little less expensive. Okay. It's more sort of commercial grade. Okay, got um, it. What I expect you'll see is maybe some uh, not kn knowing just enough to be dangerous. Uh, <laughs> you'll see some Precore branding, but you'll see Peloton software and services and content. So think about the idea of being on a college campus or being in a hotel gym, right? And maybe it's a Precore machine, but you've got the the Peloton instructors uh, leading you through your workout. Listen, I think it's fascinating that they're buying automatically the manufacturing capability. Yeah. Like that is just like overnight, right? It's much quicker. It's much fat, uh, you know, easier than all of a sudden like building equipment. Exactly. And building factories. The other key thing here is a hundred people focused on R&D at Precore. Mm -hmm. So as you heard William Lynch say, it accelerates their plan. So they've talked about doing a rowing machine. Machine. They've talked about doing different products. So now they've got instantly a huge team that are, you know, said to be very strong in the business of developing new products. Well, that's the first thing I did. I went and checked out their website. I'm like, okay, so what kind of products do they yeah. make? And it automatically essentially allows Peloton to right, continue to expand the brand. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and Peloton has huge ambitions. They also have a lot of money at their disposal given uh, what the stock has done. I know. I'm just looking at it. 467% higher. It's just like off the charts. But I do wonder, Jason, and we'll have to see. It's funny. As I walk like the dog at night, I continue to see not only Peloton, but other people who've gotten like bike equipment. Yep. Like everybody continues to order. But I do wonder when we get on the other side of this, how much of this ultimately, ultimately sticks. But once you buy something, you're kind of like you bought into the model. It's a good question. And, and I think that what Peloton would say is this purchase is almost a little bit of a hedge against that, right? Because yeah. if they are in hotels, if point. they are in college campuses, if they are going into maybe some more traditional gyms, if that becomes a thing on the other side of this, maybe they're poised to, to do pretty well. You know, one of the things William also mentioned to me is that, and, and you and I have had this experience, you know, you travel to a Westin, they've got a Peloton right. there that That's you right. can log in as a guest. They get a lot of sales from that if people sort of trying it there. So there's a marketing element to, to that as well. So listen, don't sleep on Peloton. I mean, they are, they are in the words of uh, Tom Keen, killing it. They're killing it. But what's interesting too, and I find it, and you and I've talked about this, like there would be occasionally like some problem that would arise with Peloton and they quickly get on yep. it, whether it was the music problem when we knew they had to resolve that the before ad. they went public. <laughs> Remember that. The ad. <laughs> so unfortunate. Uh, uh, but I mean, I feel like they react quickly. Yeah. And they're understanding even the idea, the criticism that, listen, it's an expensive bike, it's an expensive service, but I do think they're continuing to think about, okay, how do we expand the market beyond what we've already got? And one of the things that William mentioned to me as well in the interview was that 
maybe more acquisitions to come, little technology tuck-ins and things like ah. that. They have not been very acquisitive to date, but maybe their appetite is growing there. Listen, there's a lot of carnage, for lack of a better term, in the fitness space, as you well know. Boutiques have been closed down. One of the last interviews you and I did on this show I was know. about how New York City boutiques have been closed down since March. They I have know. not opened up. So and there's... you see the list of just companies. Well, this is the other thing. What about their brick and mortar in terms of expanding? Is that something? Or they don't really want to do that. They it's don't expensive. really want to do that. Yeah. It's really expensive yeah. and I think they're very happy with their distribution at this moment and again if you think about these sort of third places in many in many cases that the commercial ambition maybe is satisfied here I don't think you're going to see a Peloton boutique necessarily but you could see more and more Peloton branded machines and a whole variety of machines in those campuses, hotels, multifamily, think about an apartment building. It's great. Um, you know, you could have a, a much larger footprint from a Peloton perspective. Um, so what are you going to be watching from Peloton for the next six to 12 months? What is it that they, I mean, I don't want to hear execution, otherwise you're out of here. I would never <laughs> say that. I'm smarter than that. I, I Listen, you and I were work married for long enough that exactly. I, I, know you're, I know your hot buttons. Um, you know, I think new products. You know, yeah. I mean, if you look at what's out there, the rowing machine has always been something that people have been looking for. You look at the success of Hydro, yeah. um, which actually has done pretty well. It's a little bit more of a niche than, than yeah. treadmill. I think they're going to ramp up the treadmills a little bit more. You know, they now have two versions of it. It's sort of lighter footprint version. Right. So they have the Tread Plus and the Tread. Is they there have a the mirror version for Peloton? Or does that kind of eat away at everything else? You know... I don't, I don't know. know about that. You yeah. know, Mirror obviously got bought by Lululemon. And so, you know, do they team up in some form or fashion with that? I personally am not sold on that concept. I yeah. haven't heard a lot of people who heavily endorse that. I know. Um, so we'll see. It's a little I mean, freaky to me. Yeah. Sorry. Did I say that on air? Yeah, you're like looking at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> who else can see? <laughs> who else can see me? Darn it. But let's, let's be honest. You and I like looking at each other in the mirror. This is the business that we're it's in. the media world. We're okay with that. We're okay with that. So we'll see what Peloton does next. Listen, score, score. What a great exclusive. Thank uh, you. The president of Peloton, William Lynch, speaking to Bloomberg Quick Take Chief Correspondent Jason Kelly. You can hear that full conversation. You can check it out at Bloomberg.com. Where else can you find it, Mr. Kelly? Bloomberg.com slash Quick Take. You know, you never know what you can see. You know, I, listen, I know who you've been hanging around with recently, Tim Stenovic, <laughs> uh, my colleague on Quick Take. Uh, I'm sure he's promoting us uh, well as well. He is, he is. All right, good stuff as always. Good to see you. Jason Kelly there. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser from Bloomberg Radio. All right, uh, watching Peloton shares, they are moving today. So is Apple, rising near record levels after Reuters reported that the company plans to build a self-driving car, say what? And is targeting 2024 to produce the vehicle. Uh, that is the upbeat news that uh, is definitely playing out. Let's get to uh, our own Anand Srinivasan, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Semiconductor and Hardware Analyst. He's on the phone in New Jersey. Anand, great to have you here. We had on Ross Gerber yesterday. He owns Tesla. Tesla shares. He owns a Tesla car. I actually think he owns several Tesla cars. And he just kind of laughed at Apple getting into um, the EV market here and the self-driving market. What do you make of it? I don't think it's a good idea, Carol. Um, thank <laughs> okay. you for having me. Great You're, to talk to you. Great to hear your voice. Um, I, so listen, this is in uh, cars are in 85 uh, or so million market, four and a half million EVs, gross margin 15%. Let's compare that to 200 million units in the iPhone, 22 million Macs, 50 million iPads, 29 million watches, 101 million headphones, and 55 billion in services. So I, if you want to be a technology 
partner to a car maker and produce the insides of it and make it an iOS experience inside a car, yeah. I'm good with that. There's a, an enormous amount of uh, technology yeah. that Apple can provide, software, hardware, sensors, etc. But making a car um, and um, why reinvent the wheel? No pun intended. Haven't they been haven't they been working on a car of sorts for a while, and they kind of are they're doing it they're not doing it they are doing it. Look, we have soured, um, and even when we wrote our thing about the um, uh, driverless technology uh, focus on the journey, not the destination, was our was our takeaway. Was that there is a there is a certain um, element of sort of a, a hurdle to the to this technology taking off. And um, in the in the starting parts of the advanced driver automation systems, so the 8S2, 8S2, 3, some of those technologies have a place, and we use them quite frequently, like cruise control, lane shift, rear view mirror, 360 views, etc. But when you have, when you talk about the car driving itself under all conditions, uh, under all scenarios, then it becomes a a, a much bigger hurdle just yeah. from the driverless perspective. Then what happened is the industry has sort of bifurcated, let's do electrification more, focus on ADAS less. ADAS 2, 2 plus is sort of stalled. That's a barometer of how advanced and how automated the car is. Electrification has value. But again, mm. all of this in the realm of the uh, component supplier is fantastic. I cover the semiconductor industry and it's a fantastic area. 10% of the semi-business, fantastic. But if you're trying to make the car, that's a whole different um, ballgame. And there, I just think that Apple can be doing better things. You know, uh, people ask me, what are you going to do with all that money from a cash flow perspective? And buybacks are one angle. But instead of attacking an industry where it's an established industry with low margins, why not we think of creating an industry as the iPhone did relative to when it was uh, what was there before, which was the BlackBerry. So I think that the open-ended opportunities of large size, large growth, and high profitability are not existing industries right for disruption, but they may be well, actually new industries waiting to be created. All right. So do you read this anon as this, like, I don't know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, Apple's going to come out and say, yeah, we're not going to do the car now. Uh, it's a it's a possibility. Look, I'm confident that we're, if Apple were to enter the space, they would have a great product that would yeah. and they would execute really well. But uh, the, the, the bigger question is, would they want to get into this product and should they want to get into this product? And my view on both of this is a strong no. If they choose to do it, I think it's multiple years away. Yeah, I just, why the timing? Just got about 40 seconds here. Why now are they making this announcement? I, it, I, it, listen, this is a, a piece by a, a popular press, right? So we don't Writers, know. that's true. That's fair. So this wasn't really their intent to get it out necessarily, or who knows? Correct. Correct. And they're sitting on a great product cycle, and the yeah. iPhone 12 is going to be a phenomenal machine for that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, we'll see, right? Stay tuned. Uh, and okay. we'll keep we'll keep a watch on it. Anand Srinivasan, uh, always some really thoughtful insight on any of the companies he covers, including uh, what he just had to say about uh, Apple. He's senior semiconductor and hardware analyst covering Apple for us here at Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm driving in my car. 
I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, we've just got about 11 minutes left in today's trading session. We are driving to the close. Back with us is Hillary Kramer, President and Chief Investment Officer at A&G Capital Research, author of Game Changer Investing, How to Profit from Tomorrow's Billion Dollar Trend. She is on the phone in New York City. Hi, Hillary. How are you? Carol, I'm very well, thank you. Oh, good. Well, it's good to have you back. Uh, an interesting day. I called it kind of a moody day, which is maybe just because I'm in a mood. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just that kind of a day. But I think, you know, we're realizing, I think watching the pandemic, we got, you know, another round of relief. But uh, folks are saying it's really just not enough, even though we got it done. How do you see the market environment right now, Hillary? I, you actually hit the bingo, which is that in many ways, it is a moody day. I mean, this mm. is the this is the pre-Christmas slowdown in terms of volume, of course. So, I mean, that that's kind of the foundation. But at the same time, look, we have the vaccine priced into the 2021 numbers. We have the end of COVID priced into we the do. 2021 yeah. numbers. Right. And, oh, uh, yeah. and, and even though the market bounced back very quickly yesterday, once everyone understood the, the virus mutation news that it that it doesn't make uh, the, the vaccine void and uh, you know, that it still could be very effective. Um, it just, it just, the market didn't really like what it heard and had a chance to really digest. Um, and that's why, you know, we see Moderna down, Moderna's down today. And usually that, that stock is up all the time. Uh, but expectation and realization is setting in the stimulus Carol, that's another mm. important point that you bring up. When it comes to the stimulus, if you really take a look, I mean, there's there's money for Food International there. There's money for new car. I was looking. It's five thousand pages, but we were skimming I through know. it. Uh, we were joking about how long it is. Yeah. Oh, and there's there's money for new cars for the agriculture department. I mean, just there's just stuff in there, and it's very disappointing. Uh, and even the summary of it, anyone you know who doesn't want to read the five thousand pages. It's it's very clear that um, there, there's just a little too much pork. There's a way too much pork in there. Yeah. And uh, and then there's also some fatigue. You know, there's there's been a lot of uh, anything that had the name cloud to it. Uh, you know, those stocks have gone up, and the mm-hmm. Amazons and Apples. I mean, you know, and they've hit their peak a while ago. But still, uh, the market's trying to find its footing. Since September, yeah. the, um, the small, Russell small cap is up 35% since yes. September alone. Uh, so that's the mood of the market. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting day uh, where I, I love to kind of, I look at most red to kind of get an idea of, you know, what's catching investors and Bloomberg Terminal users, their attention. I do, I do want to mention some headlines that just did cross, and it's coming from some tweets out of Elon Musk, where he tweeted uh, just about six minutes ago, during the darkest days of the Model 3 program, I reached out to Tim Cook to discuss the possibility of Apple acquiring Tesla for one-tenth of our current value. He refused to take the meeting. Uh, just when you think 2020 couldn't get any odder and stranger. But, you know, it is an interesting market, Hillary, where we were talking, I was just 
just with Jason Kelly uh, of Bloomberg, you know, Peloton is a name that has just shot off the charts, you know, uh, has just gone up a lot. Apple's gone up. And in, in a na- you know, it's a year where we talked about the markets overall have done pretty well. And yet it's not been a good year for humans. It's actually a headline on a story that we have in mm-hmm. Bloomberg Business Week. Um, so I just, I don't know, I wonder where we go from here at this point. And, and where do you at this point, when you look at the market, want to commit new money? In terms of new money, to me, it's the financials. The financials have been the laggard, even with Goldman Sachs at $250. I know it's down today, mm-hmm. but uh, they're the smartest guys. You have the investment management. Goldman Sachs is going into the retail business, which will help in terms of deposits and the balance sheet. Restructuring is going to be a big business. Goldman has truly become an international, both private equity, bank, uh, trading, investment bank. Um, so I see Goldman Sachs, especially, you know, it, it, it's still trading below what it's what its ordinary book value would be, GS. Citigroup is another one. It's trading at 0.9 times tangible book. Um, I've always been more of a J.P. Morgan person mm-hmm. than a Citigroup C person. This stock is 59. It was 79 exactly a year ago. Yeah. And there's a 3.4% dividend yield. And the loan losses, they're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and the credit's good. And the fact is, you have all these banks, whether it's J.P. Morgan or Citigroup, they can use the deposit which they're paying 0% on, and they can borrow at 0%. And uh, they're, still sent, they're still doing mortgages at approximately 3%. So there's lots of money being made there. And Financials uh, and, are your yeah. second worst performing major industry group in the S&P 500 this year. There's 11 of them, and they are the second worst, down about 7.4%. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Right, and we will we will see the rotation yeah. back there, and and I'm with you when when Carol, when you talk about Peloton, I'm looking at it. I mean, that's you know the stocks that are hitting 52-week highs. It's just kind of incredible. I mean, I I'm in agreement with a PayPal, for example, that's up 74 percent. You know, and hit a 52-week high today because of Venmo and the trend towards e-commerce, and it's just become the scale of a PayPal ha- and has been. And, you know, it's, it's, um, mm-hmm. it's grown, you know, Shopify. But I know what you're saying when you talk about these companies. Like I was looking at um, Mercado Libre. That's M-E-L-I. You and I have mm-hmm. seen Mercado Libre for 10 years. It's a eBay, Amazon, Google of Latin America, right. you know, but suddenly up 189% on the year. So it's you're remarkable. right. There's a lot of tiredness there. I will say, though, Just quickly. Etsy. Yeah. Etsy even though it's up 347% on the year, Etsy could be up another 100% from Yeah, here. I think I kind of agree with you. I think it's a breakout. I think people who never yeah. went to Etsy went this year, and they're like, oh, it's not what I thought. It's not just, you know, macrame pot holders. <laughs> it's a lot more. Um, Hillary Kramer, have a great holiday season, a happy new year. Hillary Kramer, President and Chief Investment Officer at A&G Capital Research on the phone from New York. There's nothing wrong with macrame um, pot holders. I am going to put that out there just before I get a lot of hate mail on that. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at Bloomberg.com. And be sure to check out our daily radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. And be sure to watch us, too, on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.